we're going. We're getting a new year. The Brave New World Sponsorship. Welcome to Hound of Pod in 2015. As I say, we are sponsored now, and so it behoves me to begin with an announcement about the people who are paying for our alcohol this year. They are the Argentina Independent. They were founded in 2006, and they provide English language news from Argentina and across Latin America. You can read them free of charge at argentinaindependent.com, and we would like to say a big thank you to them for this evening's Fernet. Cheers. 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 You've already heard the voices of a couple of the people there who are recording with me tonight. I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined in my living room for this first episode of 2015 by Gustavo Malamud. Good afternoon. Who is Handapod's resident lower league expert, for the benefit of those of you who are new, and by Andres Bruckner. Hello. So, we are like the, that, those tennis players that when they win a match, they say, I want to thank you, or a tournament, they say, I want to thank you, ball boys. The sponsors, the... I think we very much are now, yeah. Yes. Uh, it's uh, shameful to say so, of course. Uh, but it turns out that my scruples about remaining uh, uncommercial only extend until somebody offers to buy me alcohol, and then it all collapses. And we're also joined by a fellow Englishman, Peter Coates. Hello. Quates, as he is known on this yeah. podcast. Thanks, Welcome, Peter. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Same to you. Did you all have a pleasant yeah. summer, or winter, in Peter's case? Yeah, well, it's very nice to be able to get out of the heat and humidity for at least for a short while and then come back into it and get a horrible shock. Indeed. And from a footballing point of view, of course, to get some final moments of respite uh, before we dive in to the Frankenstein's monster that is the 2015 Primera División. We held off going into too much detail on the structure of it during the second half of last year because it changed from one week to another. First it was 30 teams, and then it was going to be 20, and then it was going to be 25 or somewhere in between. And I think for a brief moment we were wondering whether they were going to go all the way and just name 100 sides in the Argentine Primera. But no, 30 it is. Uh, we embark on this uh, Sisyphean voyage. Is that a word? Sisyphean? Yes, something like that. Anyway, I'm not entirely sure who it was, but I've heard the phrase. Um, this coming Friday... Uh, when Vélez Sarsfield host Aldo Sidi and Racing Club host Rosario Central, I think, don't they? Um, in the first two matches of the New Look Primera, just the one championship this year. Um, 15 matches per weekend, spread over 30 weekends of action, with a nice generous break in the middle of the year for the Copa America and uh, presumably a bit of time for everybody to catch their breath, or at least those of us who are going to be writing previews every week. Uh, to catch our breaths and then an end of season Ligisha playoff series which it's just occurred to me I should probably have looked up before we started recording because I've completely forgotten about that but and I've just remembered it whilst talking um, it, it's very much a Frankenstein's monster because not even its own creators want it 
Uh, we, we've had people as recently as the last couple of days pointing out that it's a bunch of complete rubbish. Uh, president of, I can't remember which club, is it Velas again or, or one of the others? Um, are you looking forward to it, Gustavo? Well, <laughs> hard to say. It's like, um, it seems like in, if, if it, in, in everyone's mind, it's like, we were all thinking that uh, that uh, that a season with twenty or twenty and, and so teams would be much better than, than just thirty, and then the invention of the of the of the weeks where you only get classicals and that sort of thing is kind of like very confusing, and the way it's, it is defined, and if we're going to have two teams relegated or three and so on from the from the following years, it's like very confusing. Yeah, there's going to be one round in twenty. I think it is round of matches uh, will be just the return fixtures for all of the Clásicos um, the first Clásico of the year by the way is this weekend it's Godoy Cruz against San Martín de San Juan so they get started nice and early uh, but all of the, the returns will be played there I say all of the returns in fact there's one which that weekend will be the first of those two Clásicos on the 26th round, because uh, the Santa Fe Clásico is being played in round 26, I think it is, and then again in round 28 or 29. So some genius decided that it was a good idea to play possibly the country's most violent Clásico twice in the space of three weeks, um, which is... The, the crazy thing is that's probably not even the stupidest thing that's going to happen in Argentine football this year. Uh, but well, there we go. Right then, which sides over the summer break have had the... Let's, let's start with the worst. Which, which sides in the Primera um, do we think have had the, the worst or the most underwhelming summer breaks in terms of names brought in, in terms of uh, results, if anybody's paid any attention to pre-season results? Any nominations? Tumbleweed blows across the Hand of Pod studio. This is where we regret that we don't have video to show you. Uh, I don't mean to tell on Peter, but uh, Independiente didn't have the, the best of summers and... Uh, yeah, but I think the reason why I didn't jump in there is I think with with your qualification being signings and yeah, and si Independiente is, is a strange summer because it's fairly who knows what's going to happen really in in the coming tournament because they've signed some very good players, um, but they haven't Please. had very good performances in in their pre season so. Peter and, uh, uh, of course, Andres and myself all have reasons this uh, this month in particular to, to uh, push aside the importance of these summer friendlies because uh, both of our clubs, uh, Independiente in Peter's case and River Plate in the case of myself and Andres, both suffered crippling defeats um, in pre-season friendlies to their most hated rivals. In Independiente's case, it was four... No, two now. Two nil. Two nil. We lost four nil to River. Of course, sorry, yes, I'm getting confused. 4 <laughs> River and then 2-0 um, to Racing. And in River's case, they lost uh, twice to Boca Juniors, but the more noteworthy of the two was a 5-0 defeat. Um, we are, of course, on hand pod already well on record over the last four years now for saying that summer friendlies don't mean anything. So I'm going to repeat that point without any danger of being uh, accused of only saying it because River got beaten. We said it last year when River did very well in them. Um, but also because... They really aren't that important because it, apart from the big five sides and maybe one or two of the others, uh, Vélez, San Lorenzo are one of the big five sides. I apologise to San Lorenzo funds for uh, saying that. Um, one or two of the others who I can't think of now. 
who get televised friendlies in full stadiums in Madel Plata, Mendoza, whatever it is. Uh, I'll get to you in a second, Andres, sorry, I can't see you. Um, apart from them, a lot of the smaller sides just are literally playing pre-season friendlies in inverted commas, which are on the training ground in training bibs with absolutely nobody watching. Um, and it's a very different kind of atmosphere, Andres. No, I, I was uh, just going to say that in some cases, just a few cases, that they're the friendlies, summer friendlies are, are important. Mm. Just to mention San Lorenzo, for example, a team which didn't have any any fixture. They they have a, a few of them in, in Miami, but uh, not a, 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 a full precision of, of friendlies to well, see the, the, the new players, uh, uh, just play uh, with the, the the other players that were already in the in the, in the team. The case of for example, for example, Franco Musi, Sebastián Blanco, uh, mm. the new faces of the of the team of, of um, Bausa. So in that case, they, it, it is perhaps something strange because they didn't have time to uh, have uh, uh, 90 minutes of, of football to to test or to to see how they uh, how he can uh, talking about Bausa. Uh, managed to, to, to draw a, a team in the, in, the, in the field. So in that case I think it, it is important, but in much other cases, uh, yes, it's only uh, useful for, for earning some money and, and this is it. And in terms of sites, uh, the other major thing that happens in, in summer, of course, particularly in Argentina where the big sites struggle so much normally, or, the, or the, the good sides last year, let's say, not just the big clubs. Whoever was reasonably successful last year struggled so much to hold on to the players that brought them that success. Obviously, uh, most sides have, have lost some important players. Peter Independiente have lost uh, Daniel Montenegro, no? He's, he's gone. Or has he? He's on the sidelines. <laughs> well, he's, he's been sidelined, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that that's more, obviously, a managerial decision rather than some other club coming in to poach him. Hmm. Uh, Vélez Sarsfield, whom we have mentioned, are going to be playing the season's opening game on Friday evening at home to Albacete. I think about a particularly poor summer because they have, well, essentially, it, it could have been a particularly poor summer purely for letting Lucas Prato go and replacing him with Mariano Pavone. But apart from that, a lot of their other signings have looked rather uninspiring uh, for me. And a couple of the newly promoted teams, of course, we've got 10 newly promoted teams who we shall uh, try and whip through later on, um, have seem to be going about the Primera by deciding that the way to attack it is with numbers rather than necessarily quality. Uh, I think one of them... That is basically the Ascenso, the Ascenso approach. signings. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's uh, the Ascenso approach towards, uh, towards signings, but uh, you'll see that some of them, the ones that basically had the, strong, the stronger structure... Uh, managed to keep at least a portion of their teams, like for example, Aldo Civi managed to keep some of their, uh, most of their players. Nueva Chicago did as well, but lost Gomito on the way, and um, Temperley as well, and so on. We'll see that later, but uh, their structure was to, uh, to, bring, to bring in faces while keeping the ones that they, they had uh, when they were promoted. Huracan as well. Uh, Sarmiento at the club I was thinking of they've made um, 15 signings <laughs> uh, after, after only letting about 4 or 5 players go as well it's an interesting uh, way to go about your summer transfer business Uragan had some fresh air with the, the 
incredible victory against Alianza Lima in, uh, as a way 4-0 then when they had only to uh, look the, the time pass uh, during the 90 minutes of the second leg because mm. it was uh, like well very easy in the, in the, in the first leg and, and I think the team, a, a team uh, we, we will have to look is Estudiantes they had three I think of the best uh, signings in Primera División with uh, Sánchez Miño, Sebastián Domínguez and Álvaro Pereira. Yeah, uh, Sánchez Miño just joined today, I think, or yesterday, to sign his contract, which seems to come out of nowhere. It's an interesting one. Apparently he's fallen out with yeah. the um, the management at Torino and he's been given an 18-month loan to Estudiantes. And that works very well, in fact, to replace uh, Ernesto Goñi, who has gone to Independiente, no? Tigre, uh, I think. Tigre. God, I've forgotten. Yes. I've got it all written down here, but with 30 teams to get through, you do yes. lose track of, of who's gone yeah, where. I think he, um, he just was free agent and he up, uh, chose, or, or Tigre wanted him to, to go there and, and, and he just uh, signed. So I think it was Tigre, the, the team. But yes, yes uh, the one, I think the one that will replace Goni is, is Salvador Pereira, not such as Mino. Uh, but it will be. Uh, both of them in, in the left, on the left uh, side of the... It is indeed uh, Tigre who signed Ernesto Gagnon in response, well done, well remembered. I um, think also mentioning Huracan and Estudiantes, um, these teams probably come in with a slight advantage having their competitive football mm. already started earlier in the summer yes. um, with the Libertadores qualifiers uh, or in the case of Vélez, which probably further argues why they had probably the worst summer, them losing that playoff to Boca. Yes, and losing their deserved place in the well, losing the place that they um, that they had rightly <laughs> yeah. uh, already secured, but the AFA decided to break their own rules, as we mentioned a couple of times in the middle of last year, um, to to allow Boca a second chance to qualify for the Libertadores, um, which brings us on as well to the fact that two of the sides who have done, I think, best of all in the transfer window, have also already started their competitive action, and those sides, for rather different reasons. Um, are the big two, the the big two, the big five, of course, is the collective, but the, the two giants, because I think in, for different reasons, both River and Boca can be very pleased with how their transfer window's gone. Uh, River, more than anything, because they've kept the team together. Teo Gutierrez is still a River Plate player, astonishingly, as are, at the moment at least, Eder Alvarez, Balanta, Ramiro Funes, Mari, both of whom are wanted by European sides. Uh, various others and eventually it's Rodrigo taken Mora. a while but they've managed to get the players they wanted in as well Gonzalo Martinez from Moracan uh, Camilo Machada and has Tabarembi Uda signed yet or is he the, still the, the one who had, had already uh, already broken down had, had been into River but he's injured he was re-injured this Aymar but mm. but that's possibly I mean yeah of course every River fan wants to see Aymar back at the club but it's probably not actually as important as some of the signings they've managed to make um, and River have, have begun their competitive action they, they've played already the first leg of the Recopa Sudamericana against San Lorenzo they got a 1-0 win um, which I have to admit to uh, I, I missed it it was on Friday evening and I was out uh, needing something to eat after working all day on the tennis in Pilar um, but from what I've heard it was a much improved performance after the uh, trauma of that 5-0 defeat in the Super Classico. And Boca Juniors, of course, have also started their competitive action because they've had this match against Vélez uh, Sarsfield. Um, and I think it's fair to say that Boca have done 
although none of us, I don't think, would be particularly happy to admit it, uh, they've done well over the summer mm-hmm. with the numbers of players that they've brought in and also with the quality of players they've brought in. They've had a major reshuffle. Um, and just today, hours before we began recording, it now seems to be confirmed once and for all uh, that Daniel Osvaldo has signed, who's certainly the highest profile signing. Whether he turns out to be the best signing for Boca Juniors remains to be seen. Gustavo shaking his head. Not a chance. Why not, Gustavo? Why don't you have any faith in the man who's had 11 clubs in 10 years? <laughs> Why not? No, um, I'm not that sure about, uh, about Osvaldo's qualities. He's certainly a more high-profile, say, than Lodeiro, but I'm not sure that he, he will manage to get much more done. And uh, over the summer, there have been like very interesting appearances from the youngsters uh, from Boca, like Cristaldo and so on. So it remains to be seen also to see how, for, for example, Chigliotti will react to having that much... Uh, competition for the same position and also to having at one point it looked like they were trying to kick him out of the club and he said no I'm staying I want to, I want to win my place back he's going to be very determined because he I think quite rightly he feels he was slightly harshly treated by Bocas fans last year essentially he got barracked towards the end of the season for missing one penalty okay it's against River Plate in a continental semi-final but He's been rather, you know, he's been one of their more consistent players for the last couple of years, apart from no, but that he, moment. So. He's basically a guy that has that has been able to 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 start as uh, as down as from uh, Primera Semetropolitana. When you come from that low down, you kind of like uh, do not care that much about what remains to be seen if he is if he will be able to take the position from from say Osvaldo or. Mm one of the other strikers or if he will just like sit down and, and take I, I, it. I wouldn't understand him trying to leave because Boca will have uh, three competitions well like, they will start uh, on Copa, Copa Argentina with a very very small team the five big teams will have very very easy 32 uh, of finals mm-hmm. uh, matches, but uh, they will have Copa Libertadores, Copa Argentina and the 30 teams tournament, so leaving will be... Sorry, the 32 of finals being the last 64 uh, yeah. in English. Uh, oh, yes, right. <laughs> that, that, on that stage they will have very, I don't remember the name of the team, I think from Las Heras, a small town. Liniers de Las Heras, was it? Some, somebody's got a side called Liniers de something, one of the big five. Uh, let me see whether I can get Copa Argentina up, where is it? In fact, I think uh, Rorena will include him into the starting eleven against Olimpo this weekend. So, leaving would be stupid, I think, for him. Uh, and he had a, a, an approach from Independiente. Then I think Racing not um, so, not so, not so uh, serious. But in Mexico, it was said. But he said at the club he wanted to to be for. Uh, he played football when he started. To, to, to ride to Boca and now he's there and uh, except he had he did some some things uh, to, to satisfy supporters uh, like uh, trying to talk to river players uh, with when they played in some of Langley. apart from that I think he 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 will have a space into the team to, to play so plus Plus, you have to take into account that Osvaldo has not gone through the preseason as well as Lodeiro. And yes. as, as far as we know, Arroa Arro is not in the habit of playing 
of playing or putting in the first 11 players that have not been uh, through the preseason or have not been through, through he the He wanted to Ladeiro into the starting 11 and he had already been working with, the, with Corinthians. He was going to be in the starting lineup for Corinthians. So, and, and as well I heard when I was coming here that we have to be, we have 20 days to, to be to with be. physical optimis, optimums, uh, good, good physical form. So, uh, uh, I, I imagine Robarena waiting for him to be, to be right. It's going to be interesting to see how he deals with it, because certainly, as, as uh, Gonzalo says, Gustavo, oh, sorry, <laughs> says, um, and Robert Reyna is not in the habit of, of putting players who are not in full physical form into the side. It was the same with Tigre. Um, I think the other thing interesting, though, with that signs is the fact that Lodero was the, was the kind of man they were chasing for so long. Yeah. But I, you don't really see how they were playing last season, where he fits into... But do you think that's part of the reason... Well, that's what I'm that thinking. They, It'll they be got interesting it because they, they were uh, the football certainly improved when Adarovarena took charge, mm. uh, but there was very much and there still is to an extent a lot of uh, questioning about you know where's the number ten in this style, as if Boca have to play with Juan Román Riquelme, whether or not Juan Román Riquelme is a yeah. Boca Juniors player or not. And of course, another major thing that's happened over the summer um, break is that Juan Román Riquelme has, for the first time, and that doesn't necessarily with him mean the last announced that he is retiring from football. So we're very smoothly segueing into something entirely I, I, I expected a, a strong... Uh, I, I think he will have a, a, like a, a goodbye match, something like that. Yes, in La Bombonera at some point. But I, I expected something more more noise from... from no, it was uh, nice so bizarre. First of all, because he's got this very well-known and, and sort of publicly acknowledged uh, bet with his brother that he was going to play until 40. And he's 36, and he just he decides, oh, I can't be bothered anymore. But also because he announced his retirement the day after the president of Cerro Porteño in Paraguay said, we're like 90% done in contract negotiations with Riquelme. He's going to be signing before the end of the week. So it was, all, it was very, very... On the one hand, strange. On the other hand, it's Riquelme, so it doesn't really surprise you at all. And you just sort of thought, well, he, the president of Cerro Porteño looks like a bit of a twat now. Um, it was entertaining and sort of came to an extent out of the blue. Uh, it, it doesn't harm Argentinos Juniors as such, of course, because he'd already um, left them and was looking for a new club prior to, to the retirement. But Argentinos are uh, one of the um, newly promoted sides who... On the one hand, they're going to be scrapping like anything to stay up, but they're going to be very happy to be back in the Primera at the first attempt. Of course, they were relegated in... I think they were relegated in April, weren't they? Uh, just before, some weeks before the end of the season, if I remember rightly. Um, in, a, in late April or early May. Um, and they'll be, they'll be welcomed back. But you do kind of look at Argentinos, I think, and just wonder, is that going to be um, the side that's going to get them out of the doldrums that they've been in? recently because I think I can't help but think that they're going to be once again pretty uninspiring to watch and I say this as somebody who is taking a group of people to watch their very first match of the season and is going as a result to miss the first half of River Plate's first match of the season um, because I'm a glutton for punishment there, there's going to be it must be said some quite bad football um, on show from 
several teams, I think, this year. Take which it. is one of the reasons nobody wants the 30-team Primera. For example, take take uh, take Argentinos and the, the article that was published the other day uh, on on Cancha Shen, I think, about the budgets of the of the, of the teams that were basically overspending yes. over the last uh, season. I forgot about that. Where, 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 where it was stated that I think that um, Argentinos was spending about one million eight hundred thousand pesos. Uh, Pesos, or, uh, so I'm not sure. It was pesos. Uh, pesos in, in the month, and uh, due uh, due to to the kind of spending that they had to to pull to get promoted back to Primera División, they would have to spend something between six hundred thousand and eight hundred and eight hundred thousand pesos uh, in the in the Primera División yeah. as monthly budget. So basically, they have like to spend budgets that uh, teams in Nacional B or Primera B even. Spend during the month, so they they will basically have to rely on youngsters and some uh, some accomplished players. But we will we will have to expect Argentinos not to play with the kind of players that they had during the Nacional B. No, indeed. Uh, Andres Francoya is back. I think it's his third spell Matavi at the club. I'm sure he was involved in the title winning side, wasn't he, in 2010? If I remember right. Yes. Uh, Matias Jimenez, I have a feeling, has played for them before as well, and he's also. Signed, uh, Juan Ramirez and Fabio Vasquez are two of the other main departures, but obviously Riquelme is the one who um, towers above everybody else, and it's going to be interesting to Caruso. see what happens there. Caruso as well, who has left for uh, San yes. Lorenzo. Yeah, um, and another one. In terms of individual signings and how intriguing they can be. We talked towards the end of last year, I think it might have been the last episode, in fact, of, of 2014. Um, Peter uh, runs as well a, a Mexican football blog, and we mentioned that uh, Lanús have had their entire backline decimated by Mexican football in the space of six months, because last winter, the middle of 2014, they lost... Oh, God, remind me who. Balagos. Yeah, Carlos Thank you, yes. Both to Santos Laguna, was it? No. Also into America. No, the one, the pair of players that went to Santa Laguna were Marquesina and, and Diego González. This exactly, and this, this summer just gone. Uh, the goalkeeper and one of the other defenders um, have both gone to Santos Laguna. Thank you, Andres. Um, and how Lanús are going to cope with that is oh, very and interesting. Didn't and Silvio Romero. Silvio Romero has also yes. gone. Yeah, the attacker. How Lanús are going to cope, particularly with Marquesina, because he was one of the best goalkeepers in the league. And the answer to that, at least, is they've made a very interesting sign. They have signed Fernando Monetti from Gimnasia La Plata, who is also one of the best goalkeepers in the league. Uh, it does, of course, leave Gimnasia screwed for goalkeepers, particularly because Gimnasia had the second lowest number of goals conceded during the Torneo de Transición. Only River Plate had a better defensive record. Um, and it must be said that River Plate's defenders are rather better than Gimnasia's defenders. A lot of that good goal scoring record was down to Monetti in the Gimnasia goal and they struggled for goals um, if the Primera were still 20 teams I would say at this point that I think I'd be scared for Gimnasia as it is it is 30 so gentlemen the question to be asked is stuff like that Gimnasia losing such a good goalkeeper and not really adequately replacing him I think they brought in somebody with the aim that he's going to be um competition for the previous backup goalkeeper rather than bringing in somebody who's going to be the starting regular keeper in and of his own right um, are we going to see a, a, 
a league in which the sides who haven't uh, maybe reinforced in, in the way that they would have liked to are going to be finding it easier, do we think, to to stay above the waterline anyway, just because the waterline's been taken so much further down? Or is everybody going to be stuck in this one massive relegation fight with about 15 teams involved? I can't help but feel that some of the promoted teams are going to be in like a sort of mini league of their own at yeah. the bottom, the smaller teams and the likes of Gymnasia, who, who have lost a central part of their defence, are probably thinking the same, that without spending a huge amount of money on a replacement, we'll still finish above those smaller clubs. I think that's got to be something to do with it, definitely, because San Riento, for instance, have got a, a start, they're at home. OK, that's the one good thing they can take from it, but they've got River Plate in the very first match. You can't help but feel slightly sorry for them if River have got their uh, competitive um, game heads on, let's say. Um, then you have Cruzeiro Norte. I think that uh, their own president said that they will play against River Independiente in Chaco. They are from Misiones. Yes, because they don't have any because fans. They have no because nobody in Misiones cares about football, apparently. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Just such a bizarre uh, system. Uh, Cruzeiro del Norte, indeed, are starting against Tigre. And to an extent, I think that that could be a fairly good, you know, uh, a first part of the answer, at least, to the question I just asked, because that is a very good example of a, f- a newly promoted side who haven't really torn up many uh, trees in the transfer market. Fabio Vasquez comes in from Argentinos, but apart from that, not too great. Against Tigre, who've lost Gabriel Peñalba, who was the captain, Ignacio Canuto was one of the more talented attacking players that they had, and they made a couple of decent signings, especially in defence, but haven't yes. really impressed. Gomni's come in, Leandro gonzalez Pires has come in from River Plate, uh, Mariano Echeverria has come back from Boca Juniors, and you'd have to think he's going to be better at Tigre than he was at Boca, because... Well, he was better at Tigre before than he was at Boca, um, and so on. But in attack, I'm struggling really to see what, what Tigre are going to have. To well, the honest. same as they had last season. Well, exactly. So I'm struggling to see what they're going to have. No, but I mean, Tigre was strange last season after Alfaro came in, because mm. sometimes they could just click and, and, and score quite a few goals with wheelchairs and Rincon, but then in other games they look, looked hopeless. And I think if they... Under Alfaro will probably see the odd game this season, it may be against a weaker opposition where Tigre suddenly score four goals, but then the next week they get thumped. But I, th- I don't think Alfaro uh, is going to play very uh, offensive style anyway, but he, he, will, he was always uh, was one of the coaches, he uh, always said that he, he wanted the team to build a team from the defence to the attack. First the defense, then the attack, and, and uh, I think that, uh, in fact, uh, I remember it was last tournament. The other one was, I think, for half of the tournament, having uh, not scoring goals or something like that. Very, very, very few goal mm-hmm. opportunities. Uh, so I think uh, Alfaro is that kind of of, of coaches. I, I think well, he has managed to 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 build some pretty solid. Uh, teams back in Arsenal and in Quilmes as well, but he has never given the impression, and Tigre particularly over the last few seasons, have not given the impression of being a team that is going to fight for to fight for the first like five to ten spots. They're going to be um, like half of the table down 
Um, half of the 20 team table or half of the 30 team table? Because there's a five place gap now between what was mid table. Do not confuse me. I'm uh, already having like a struggle to keep up with Primera B and Nacional <laughs> Like <laughs> Nacional B, for uh, the benefit of listeners who are wondering, the lower divisions remain essentially the same structure as they were before, don't they? Nacional B is 22 teams again. 22, is yeah, it? Yeah, but no songs. Pardon? No songs. The songs were... Uh, no, no, obviously, yeah, not, not the same as they were in the Transition, but the same as they, they were in the season-long championships um, before. They're, they're basically the same. It's just the Primera. Um, that has changed. And for the benefit of new listeners, let's go in just for a minute on why the Primera has changed. Uh, there was a gentleman once upon a time called Julio Grondona. And he ruled over Argentine football with an iron fist from 1979 um, when Argentina was in military dictatorship, as many, many Argentines will remind you. Uh, he came in and is the one, was the one remaining power in Argentine public life, who was a hangover from the military days. Um, and he died shortly after the World Cup, having always joked that you'll have to carry me out of the affair in a coffin. Uh, that's precisely basically what happened. Um, too late, because it was only a week before the season was scheduled to start, to abort this hideous, as I say, Frankenstein's monster of a tournament um, championship that, that he brought in because it was a week before the transitional season was due to start. Um, the idea is to federalise Argentine football, to bring in more clubs from across the country. Well, certainly if you've got more clubs in the division, then you can bring in more clubs from across the country, but it actually the proportion from Greater Buenos Aires of clubs in the first division has remained more or less the same. Um, it's still somewhere around 40 to 60% of, of the sides in the Primera from Greater Buenos Aires. Um, and that's about all there is to say, really, isn't there? And they, basically, after he died, everybody decided, well, we don't want this anyway, so it's looking very much like within a few years' time, we'll be back down to 20 or 22 teams in the Primera because they're going to relegate more teams than they promote, and everybody will be happy again. You, you have to say that also that he had no position, and when he died, every every uh, team or, or the, the the presidents and vice presidents uh, they waited for Rendona to die to say no, we are not, we don't agree with this tournament. Mm -hmm. We want the twenty teams tournament back, and it was too late because the oldest structure of the Primera B Nacional and Primera B was already settled and. It was impossible to go back to the to, to, a, to a more coherent tournament, and now they are they are saying, "Oh, it's very untidy, very." We have uh, Damens said the other day that we will have to travel a lot. That's the president of San Lorenzo. Damens, yes. But in another way, they won't because they're playing. You know, before San Lorenzo would have been playing nineteen away matches a season, and now they've got to play fifteen away matches in the year. And this is another thing that I've not seen anybody notice it. It's not a good thing because it's a ridiculous league system and it's not sporting, it's not fair. Mostly because some of the big sides, some of the sides who are fighting for the title are going to have an extra match against a much harder opponent than certain other sides who are fighting for the title will have their extra match against because of the fact that the Classicos get played reverse fixtures as well and the other ones don't. Um, so for that reason it doesn't make sense. But one thing that I haven't seen anybody point out is that it means that Argentine teams in each half of the year, having previously had 19 matches per six months, have now got 15 domestic matches per six months, plus the Copa Argentina as well, but none of them care about that anyway. Um, so it wouldn't entirely surprise me if 
Argentine sides give a pretty good showing of themselves. Of, uh, what am I trying to say? A pretty good uh, impression of themselves in the Copa Libertadores and the Sudamericana. Certainly they should be expected to. As I say, no, but I seem to be the only person who's noticed this, so I'm not sure whether they will be expected to. But they should be expected to. Because they've got, they're going to have much less fixture congestion. Would that be fair to say? Particularly bearing in mind that the teams to beat in the Sudamericana, uh, the Libertadores, sorry, this year, San Lorenzo are the defending champions. River won the Sudamericana last year and, and played, I think it's fair to say, some of the best, you know, regardless of, of who we support, so, some very good football. Um, and then you've got sides like Racing, who have just won the league and have had a good season in terms of who they can retain. They've lost Ricardo Cinturion, a couple of other players, but they've by and large done very well. Um, Another side, Boca, as we say, have done well and okay, they shouldn't be in the Libertadores, but they are. Um, so fair props to them for that. Um, and I just, I can't help wondering whether we're going to be. I, th- I think we should see most of the Argentine representatives getting into the latter stages of the Libertadores. Whether we're going to or not is another matter, but they certainly should be less tired than they would otherwise be. So Lamenta's complaint about, oh, San Lorenzo have got to travel much more. A, it's not true. They've got to travel less. And B, what's he trying to, you know? I know he said that only for San Lorenzo, but uh, um, perhaps not the amount of matches, but the uh, the distance they will have to to travel every match, not because uh, fertilizing the uh, football means uh, bringing more... Uh, teams from the provinces to the to the, to the major league, and, and that would mean for the most important teams to travel to those places and, and have to play. Uh, I know Junín is not is not far away, but for example, uh, Misiones, the one uh, I yeah. told you, Cruz uh, Norte or something like that. Uh, it's that hours away. Uh, well, that's fine. Yeah, but I mean, no, again, the sides from Buenos Aires have to go to Cruzeiro del Norte maybe once this year. Anyway, some of not, them, some of the Cruzeiro del Norte are going to have to come down to Buenos Aires almost every other week. It's not. It's not uh, that mu- that much about that. But we we kind of like have to to clarify to some of the to some of the listeners of Hand of Paul that sometimes when the when the presidents or the chairman in Argentina make these kinds of statements, it's, it is because basically they're trying to gain advantage at whatever they can. Well, of course. Uh, mostly by complaining because who they get as the referee, because uh, how long or how far away they have to, to travel, to go, to play and so on. Um, so basically it is like a strategy for them, even, even though if it's not true. If you can hear what sounds like a cricket chirping very noisily to the microphone, listeners, then I apologise, I have no idea what that is. I am going to just go and shut the kitchen door in case it's coming from the kitchen uh, direction, whilst somebody else then... Oh, Gustavo's going to shut it for me. I have to kind of half slam it, Gustavo. With vigour. That's better. Cheers. Um... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all political posturing, particularly in this year, which is not only uh, a year of national elections in Argentina, and you'll be aware that something rather big in that respect has happened, no doubt, um, but uh, but also in terms of footballing elections, because the election in which Julio Grandona would have been standing, had he still been alive, um, for re-election of the Argentine Football Association presidency, is going to be taking place in October, which is another reason 
that no relegations are going to be happening before then. They've all made sure that this year at least is going to happen after the elections, both at national level and at football level. I have, by the way, the list of the teams now who are going to be playing the Big Five in the Copa Argentina. San Lorenzo's uh, rivals, does anybody want to take a guess at their name? They're from Entre Rios. They have been seven times champions, it says here, of the uh, Paraná Campaña League. Um, and are currently in Federal B, which is the fifth division, fourth division. Fifth regionalized fifth. fourth, I think, isn't it? Primera, B Nacional, Federal A, Federal B. Yeah. Yeah. So f- regionalized fourth division. Um, and they are called Viale FBC. Gustavo, you're the lower league expert. What can you <laughs> no, Federal B is too far, for, is too yeah. far away for most. Uh, for most of us in Buenos Aires. Uh, Huracán de las Heras are going to be playing Boca. We have at least heard of them, um, although we can't tell you much about them apart from they're from Las Heras, which is in Mendoza. Uh, Liniers de Bahia Blanca are playing against River Plate. They are from somewhere in Buenos Aires. Oh, from Bahia Blanca, of course. The clue's in the name, isn't it, Sam? Um, and they have played River before, apparently. A friendly in 1986, which River won 3-2, with Beto Alonso scoring twice. Um... Independiente rivals, Peter. Nervous to hear this? Alianza de Coronel Moldes. Mm. Apparently one of the newest clubs in the country. They were founded on the 20th of December 2007. We know they are from <laughs> Coronel Moldes. Yes. So, no pressure in terms of facing uh, them. And uh, Racing don't know who their uh, opponents are going to be yet, but it will be either Independiente de Neuquén or Racing de Olavarria. <laughs> Olavarria, sorry. I'm passing the Olavarria in the Argentino A, so. What was it? Argentino They're kind of yeah. known. We've heard of them before because they were one of the, uh, they're one of about four clubs uh, across the country who reached the this similar stage or, or the next round from this one uh, in the Copa Argentina a couple of years ago who were called Racing de something. Um, so there you go, that's the, the full lowdown, and that is as much of a lowdown as you're getting uh, on the Big Five's Copa Argentina opponents. But the good news, if you're a bit disappointed in Hander Pod for only telling you that much, is that we can absolutely guarantee that nobody else is even going to tell you that much about who these teams are um, until possibly about five minutes before kickoff of the match itself if you watch the Football Paratolos streams. We have been recording for 41 minutes, so at this juncture I'm going to play some theme music. And we're going to work out what to talk about next. Maybe the type size and the Libertadores and the ones who've played competitive action so far. Uh, but here's some music, don't go away. already we've mentioned a couple of those results but we're going to try and remember as many of them as we possibly can now Boca Juniors beat Vélez Sarsfield in the let's euphemistically call it controversial um, 2013-14 season tiebreaker in Mar del Plata a few weeks ago Uh, Vélez looked very very poor and Boca deserved the victory but that was about all you could really um, say of the performance and that puts Boca into 
Copper Libertadores group. Anybody? I've got rather fast internet here normally, so hopefully it won't take too long to load these pages. The Google Chrome is going very slowly on my computer recently, so it is going to take long. Um, it puts Bucket into group number, I want to say four. I was going to say it's also number four, but uh, not so sure. Let's see. No, not number four. Number five. Uh, along with Zamora of Venezuela, Montevideo Wanderers of Montevideo, which is in Uruguay, uh, geography fans. And winner five of the first round tie, the first round tie being Palestino versus Nacional de Uruguay. So we could have two Uruguayan teams um, in that same group. The second leg of that is played on Thursday evening. Uh, Palestino having won the first leg in Chile. Um, Nacional will be hosting tomorrow night, uh, or tonight by the time most of you hear this. Um, other uh, com uh, competitive matches so far, Andres already mentioned in passing, Huracan's astonishing uh, competitive start to 2015. Their first Libertadores match in 41 years or something, yes. was it? Um, and they won 4 0 away to Alianza Lima. It was 41 years since they did, but it's, this is Copa Yardar too, but they. 41 years ago, I don't think there was a playoff in order to go to the group stage. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was 41 playoff. years since they play, didn't play the, for the group stage. Mm. Right? Yeah. They won the first leg 4 0 in Lima uh, last week, and then just last night coasted through the second, got the 0 0 draw. And incredibly, um, they, they, when, they, when the Peruvian team came here, the, some supporters of Alianza Lima were waiting for, for the players and the, and the coach. Yes, when they got to the airport in Buenos Aires, yeah, um, and were spitting on them and yelling insults at them and stuff in the middle of the Seis <laughs> International Airport here in Argentina, which was a bit mad. Um, Independiente del Valle of Ecuador got uh, of, of Sangolqui in Ecuador. Um, I like the name of that place. I've no idea what it's like or maybe whereabouts in Ecuador it is, but I like saying it. Um, got a one 0 win last. Thursday, I think it was, um, against Estudiantes de La Plata, and the second leg is in La Plata tomorrow night again on Thursday at uh, quarter to ten Argentine time. So if you're listening in the UK, that's probably past your bedtime. Um, I didn't see that match. Did anybody see how Estudiantes looked? Poor. They're, they're still without Roman Martinez, so of course injured his ankle, or rather had his ankle injured for him, which I don't hand up and admit, as River fans. Um, against River in last year's Sudamericana semi, sorry, uh, quarterfinal, wasn't it? Um, and has aggravated that injury during one of the preseason friendlies. So he's going to be a big loss for them initially, at least. Um, other competitive matches were the River against San Lorenzo last month, last week on Friday in the Red Copper Sudamericana first leg. And any others? That's it, isn't it? Argentine side to the Libertadores, however, or a can, uh, having won their qualifier have gone into group... Actually, let's just go through the groups by number and pick out the Argentine team, shall we? That's probably easier. San Lorenzo, the holders, are in the same group as San Paolo, Danubio, and winner of playoff number six, which will be, by the look of it, Corinthians, who got a 4-0 victory over on Secaldas in the first leg uh, last Wednesday, and who host... Uh, sorry, who visit on Secaldas in the second leg 
group of oh, in an hour, in an hour's time, at the same time. A- so. Against uh, Brazilian teams against San Lorenzo, which if they compare with the last year, Copa Libertadores, okay for them. Yes, right, yeah. And in fact, yeah, we're going to have a Sao Paulo. Uh, no, it's in that group, aren't we? This is a group of theft, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yes, quite possibly. Um, Huracan go into this group three alongside Cruzeiro, another Brazilian side, Mineros de Guayana of uh, Venezuela, aren't they? I think. Um, and Universitario de Sucre of Peru. Peru. Peru? Yes, of course they are. Yeah, you're quite right. Thank you. Um, how do we think Huracan are going to do? We have a related question, but just very briefly. Do we think they can get out of that group? Given their performance Can you against Cruzeiro, Cruzeiro, Mineros de Guayana, uh, de Guayana, sorry, and Universitario de Sucre. Yes, they will. Second spot. Okay. Uh, I think they can compete for it. No, no, they, they will. Sucre is, uh, has a lot of pressure, or not, not, not so, so much. much. They don't have that 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 ample uh, rec- uh, record on continental trophies. Because mm. for, uh, clearly against them and and. and Mineros is, are the weakest teams in the, in the group, so I, I, I would say Huracan and, and Cruzeiro will be the one. The you can see Huracan winning uh, against everyone except for Cruzeiro. They have the, Cruzeiro has the, the team with the highest budget in the entire Copa Libertadores, 70 million euros. Uh, I think. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Boca, we've already mentioned, Group 5 with Zamora, Montevideo Wanderers, and either Palestino or Nacional. Um, Number group number six is River Plate, Juan Aurich of Peru, San Jose of Oruro, Oruro, which is in Bolivia. Thank you. <laughs> they, they have been trying to uh, put their their the, the players in the in some ca- chambers or something like that to gain some uh, air. Hyperbaric uh, chambers. Yes. Uh, and the other team in River's group are Tigres of Monterrey. We have a Mexican football expert here, Peter. I'm presuming, uh, particularly since the, it's the Libertadores and therefore the best Mexican sides aren't even going into it because they go to the CONCACAF Champions League, um, that River should be expected to, yeah, to win that group. I'd, ex- I'd expect almost nothing from the Mexican sides in the Libertadores. <laughs> right. As yeah. indeed we saw almost yeah. nothing, those of us at least who watched uh, Monarcos Morelia's uh, time exactly, last night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, against the, the strongest. Yes, you're quite right, of course. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, which was a fabulously entertaining match. The Libertadores has already got off to a good start with that. Um, and in Group 8, of course, we have the champions of Argentina, Racing Club. It is not going to stop feel weird saying that for at least another couple of months, I think. Uh, they're in the same group as Sporting Cristal of Peru, Guarani of Paraguay, and the winner of playoff number three, which is... Deportivo Táchira, in fact. Oh, Deportivo Táchira currently leading playoff three out and I realised there was already a game on, so let's flick over and see what's going on there. Uh, who won the first leg 2-1 at home to Cerro Porteño and are now drawing 2-2 away to Cerro Porteño with 15 minutes to go. So that one's on a knife edge. It will be one of those two sides. Um, Racing against Cerro Porteño would be good fun. I'd quite like that. We might be able to get Ralph on to give, him, give us his expert inside line. On the Paraguay. Didn't Racing just sign um, some. Romero. Yeah, thank you. Oscar Romero, the. From Cerro Of course they did, yeah, yeah, quite right. So that would be a bit of. Um, 
Anders had it need also have no idea what circumstances he left the club in but it would be interesting and indeed it would be their very first match as well the Racing's first match of the group stage is away to whoever wins this match or indeed if it's a draw it's away to Tachira um, so there you go those are the Argentine sides in the Libertadores how well do we think that they're going to do I've already answered my bit of that question because I said earlier that I think River um, and possibly Racing and Boca to, to an extent are going to be the, the sides to beat um, we have had Libertadores campaigned recently in which the Brazilian sides particularly have done rather poorly compared with expectations and certainly compared with budgets what do we think is going to happen this year James? I don't see any reason why the Argentine sides aren't going to do very well I mean bear in mind that we've just very confidently said that an Argentine side who would still be in the second division if the Primera wasn't being ridiculously largely expanded uh, are going to comfortably qualify from their group yeah I mean I think maybe excluding Oregon but um, certainly, Racing, River, Boca. It wouldn't be shocking to see uh, two of them reach the semi-finals. It's not. It's not guaranteed. But uh, for example, Boca has has uh, bought enough players like to keep themselves within the Primera División and Libertadores, or to make a or to make a, a strong uh, a strong. Um, performance on either tournament should they give up any of them any of the two mm. and River has been able to keep their to, to keep their performance uh, regardless of uh, if they play Primera or Libertadores but what was your case I, I, if I I heard that there will be matches uh, from of course the uh, third division tournament uh, the 30 team tournament on, on Thursday is that okay or alright I, I heard it and, and it was a joke. The first weekend, at least, is going to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, with uh, two matches on Friday, five on Saturday, six on Sunday, and two on Monday. That adds up to 15, doesn't it? 11. Yes, it does. Um, what it's going to be like in future, I don't know. I think the second weekend, in fact, the days have already been set, and we can have a look at what those the are. The weekend now. of the, of the anyway, 20. That starts on the 20th, in fact. So, yeah, that's also Friday to Monday. Um, anyway, I don't, I don't think that uh, any any team participating in the Copa Libertadores no, will, no. yeah. will be playing on a th Thursday, but uh, it will depend on, on that. And I, I, I fancy River, Boca, San Lorenzo, and Racing uh, playing against, for example, River will do that, and I think Boca the same. Against the perhaps weak teams, Olimpo is not that weak as, for example, Sarmiento de Junín, but they will put uh, straight uh, an alternative team straight away, uh, just in order to give more importance to the Copa Libertadores. And I think Gallardo will start doing it from the beginning, not like he did uh, last year, that he tried to put the same team from Copa, for Copa Sudamericana and tournament, local tournament, and well. Uh, as yeah, I mean, uh, to, to cut off the, uh, the neutral aspect of the podcast for a second and now start talking with our fans' heads, I would guess that as River fans you'd have to say that you'd hope that Gasharado would uh, learn the art of rotation a little bit more quickly than, than he did. Not that obviously the last six months have been disastrous for River by any means, um, but in terms of, uh, you know, it could have been a league in Sud America a double if the players hadn't arrived at that match against Racing quite so tired. Um, we may as well then ask uh, Peter from Independiente's point of view what would you like them to have learned from the last campaign 
maybe how to defend? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's what's curious about the pre-season. Is that, it's, um, it's curious about the identity of the players they've brought in as well. It, I mean, Emiliano Papa, sure. Tagliafico? Yeah, it? exactly, and Toledo. Full-backs, yes, but they're not particularly going to improve your central defence, are they? No, not exactly. Uh, and certainly Tagliafico is, is more kind of attacking than he is, than he is like a defensive full-back. Um, Papa has never been, been a central defender. No. Um, and also has been better, I think, attacking than defending. So yeah, I mean, they ha- for me, they haven't really addressed the the, the the issues that were there last season, and, and it's strange because I think Independiente, on the one hand, it ended a bit disappointingly because with two games to go, we're still in the in the title race until that point. So yeah. then, when that finished, and then obviously with Racing being champions, there was a disappointment. But in the light of day, really, from first season back in the Primera to finish fourth and to be that. Yeah, in the in the pack By was no was very good. So. so it's strange then for Almiron to to have such wholesale changes to the team and the disruption which is being caused by, like you mentioned earlier, Daniel Montenegro being exiled. Um, and I think it could. But we also, of course, had another thing. Sorry, that Independiente had during the last campaign was a change of president, a very very public and let's yeah. say bloody in some ways change of president. Um, do you think that feeds into the disquiet at the club as well? Yeah, it certainly feeds into it. Uh, and I think Moshana's probably trying to buy <laughs> buy favour with the fans by throwing cash at the at the first team and saying, like, well, we're going to buy all these players. Um, but I think Independiente they need to start the season well because... Um, we saw in the, in the pre-season friendlies, as soon as things went badly, the fans turned on Almiron and reminded him about, oh, Montenegro's sitting in the reserves, not doing anything, as soon as they went behind against uh, River, and the same in the Clásico. Did Manchano put money from his own wallet? Because they owe 500,000 million dollars. Wait, pesos, sorry. 500,000? Half a million pesos? 500 million, yes. Yeah, yeah. 500 million pesos. 500 million pesos, yes. Wow. Yeah, and they've spent probably the most in this window mm, more or less I mean it's the same yeah yeah probably Boca but they still also bought like Albert, Albertenso, Albertengo for like uh, what's it 3 million dollars yeah like Albertengo could be a very good signing no yeah. I think that's the thing I think the signings they bought so in are actually very good Albertengo Jose Valencia and then Diego Rodriguez Aquino from Godoy Cruz always are all good players but I'm not necessarily sure that you look at it. They're independent. all strengthening the bits of independent that were really already quite strong. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think that, that if I was being, if I in a dream scenario, I would, I would have said, okay, independent, need someone else to score goals because you looked at them last season, they were very dependent on Manquejo scoring goals from attacking midfield. And I think Sebastian Penko was probably the, the leading scorer from the, from the group of strikers available. Mm. I mean... Sebastian Penko, you can't rely on him to... Do it again. No, and I mean, okay, Lucero's quite young, is still a good option in the squad, but I don't know if you'd want to play him. Lucini, Pisano. Again, and, and they come into that group of attacking midfield players that don't add that many goals. So they, did, I think Independiente did need to add someone mm. who's going to score goals. Hopefully, Albertengo or Valencia would, would be that person. Um, but they, they didn't go, okay, we shipped a lot of goals last season, but let's 
strengthen that core. Yeah. Um, maybe having Diego, um, Diego Rodriguez playing in front of the defence mm-hmm. might make that a bit more solid with Jesus Mendes, but still, I would have preferred like, a really commanding centre-half to, to marshal the defence a bit more. We shall see. Uh, obviously, from a neutral point of view, what we all want to see is the Independiente continue to be business at the front, you know, party at the back. Um, but we'll, we'll be asking you again in a few weeks' time. Well, I think they will be, but they need to. As long as they need to be, if they ship goals, they definitely need to be scoring more because I think if they lose away at Newell's, is is it is okay to lose that game? But yeah. I think they have Samiento at home in the mm. second game, and if that is nil nil, for example, with yeah, with twenty to... minutes to go, I think. Things in the stadium could be. It's like there's something not very they strange between Almirón and supporters. It's like they yeah. don't like the way Almirón make make the team play. I think or something like that. Or, or he's not very very clear. Or or he's not. No, Almirón Almirón is basically. F- I, maybe you're going to point out I'm wrong, but uh, Almirón is basically facing the same situation Coca had at the beginning at Racing. Which was you bring a manager from uh, from low from teams with uh, with smaller structures and big achievements, but uh, it doesn't he doesn't like seem good enough for 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 mm-hmm. for the team. Uh, the team need, needs time to reform to find its shape to find the chemistry between the players, but they're not finding it. So basically, the, but Coca has had his like he played with fire when he said, "I prefer to win the title, but it, the s- but not the." Uh, 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 instead, the the, the classico uh, and the supporters were Coca, go away, you are stupid. He, they won the championship in his first year in the club with 13 years that Racing didn't have. Ima- imagine if if Coca had failed to win the yes. to win the title yeah. and had said that they would basically have thrown him out. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think in a we, week we sit in the same situation, and I think with Independiente is that that's why I say the, the results have to go well from the off because I think after yeah. the summer if things start badly I don't think he'll be given that much time by the supporters to say okay it's a work in project work in progress and um, I apologise uh, to listeners who I've just deafened with a very loud crack fortunately my pint glass appears to be still solid I just whacked it on the side of my laptop monitor. so that would have been an awfully expensive mistake to have made in terms of hand-eye coordination and I apologise I didn't mean to interrupt you Peter However, uh, it's probably a good idea that we uh, roll on anyway. Gustavo, we will not ask you um, about how your team are going to improve because, frankly, none of the listeners will be aware of anything you're saying. Um, But what would you like from the Primera point of view? And we will, obviously, you already know, but we will get you back and talk about lower divisions um, once they get started. Uh, But there's little point, really, in previewing them with all the will in the world. What would you like um, the Primera as a whole to learn from this really bizarre experience that we're all about to embark on, which is a match, uh, a season consisting of 450 regular season matches uh, spread over 30 weeks. Can we get any positives from it, do you think? I don't know, but uh, we'll have to... What I'm basically thinking of uh, when I'm seeing this new structure and all and the teams that have been promoting will be to see how some teams that have actually done great campaigns over the last two years, like for example Nueva Chicago and Temperley, who had frozen two categories in the last uh, last two years or year and a half. Well, Temperley have got two promotions in six months, so. And, 
and new, Nueva Chicago went up to the National B with the same manager that is now about to play the Libertadores with Palestino. Mm. Uh, and to see how other teams that haven't been in the Primera División but haven't been like slouching in the National B for a few years, like Aldo Civi, and who have been buying rather well into the Primera División, and to see how they do against the big teams. Like, those teams are going to be a snag for River and other teams... Uh, in the in the in the top five uh, fight. Sure. Um, we will have some more music now, and we'll come back in a couple of seconds for us, at least in about thirty seconds for you listeners, and answer some listeners' questions. So don't go away. Question for hand of pod. Am I crazy? Or does everything coming out of Umbertito's mouth post sub 20 make him seem a decent guy? First of all, for the benefit of listeners who don't know who Umbertito is and don't speak Spanish, I'm going to have to explain a few of the words that Luis has used there. Umbertito is Umberto Grondona Julio, uh, the son, yes. nephew, son of Julio Grondona, who we mentioned two. earlier. Um, and he is the, also the current manager of Argentina's under-20s, hence Sub-20. The Sudamericano Sub-20, which is the South American under-20 championship, has just finished. Argentina won it. Um, after Umbertito had been bailed out with late goals from his players on at least three occasions that I can think of. I admit to having missed the final. Um, but by and large, he has shown himself over the last few years to be an extremely incompetent manager. Um, who is only in the job because of who his dad was um, and I have to admit Luis I think you are crazy because he's been shooting his mouth off about how he doesn't want to give up the under 20 the youth team jobs to anybody who, who Gerardo Martino the, the current national team senior manager um, has put in place even though those are the terms of Martino's contract Umbertito said at the time that he was fine to manage them until the end of the World Youth Cup which is uh, later this year and then he'd step aside and now he's saying the opposite Plus he's shooting he's shooting his mouth against uh, for example Taylor who I think had been in the in the Argentina youth process in the Peckerman period or before yeah. so it's not like you're bad-mouthing some, someone that hasn't done anything from, for the national team but when does Umberto Rondona contract expire because after the World Youth Cup so uh, in that case Sorry, the youth world cup. I, I heard there was a problem between Martino and 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 Bertolonena because he wanted Taylor to be. I don't know if the, being the coach of of world cup, youth world cup, but the problem is there. He wanted Taylor to be, and Bertolonena doesn't want to leave. Yeah. Uh, so, and now he has credit credit for performing champion, and in this case, results is the only uh, only thing that matter matters because. After they won, after he won the, the title, you could see him uh, angry and, and, and shooting against everyone when you, you should be celebrating. And it, that's strange. Uh, Indeed it is, but as we say, he's a very strange man. Um, 
And yeah, and I'm not really sure how Luis has got this idea that he's a decent person. I must admit, it's all very peculiar. There are rumours that uh, Martino has said that if uh, if Umbertito is allowed to continue in his charge beyond the already agreed time, that Martino will step down as manager of the senior well, national team. For example, he, he included uh, Julio Compagnucci, uh, a player that he, he's young, he's a kid, but had uh, he attempted to uh, elbow a, 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 a Paraguayan player and he. Uh, substitute him. He uh, uh, put him out of the of the of the, of the match, and uh, after that he put it again into the team. So yeah. if you want, really want to 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 this is in contrast to, to Jose Pekerman's youth sides who won as well as winning tournaments. They also won fair play awards all over the place. Um, of course, yes. so yeah, it's very um, strange. Sorry to interrupt, Andres, but we have a few questions. Of course, yes. this being the first of the year. Um, we will be Vishal Amlani asks you'll, you'll be dedicating a decent chunk of the podcast to Riquelme right the answer to that obviously we've already gone through it is no we've acknowledged it but really there's a, a hell of a lot else to cover if he'd done it in a quiet week then possibly but this is the preview episode so um, great player but no we're not going to be um, Chris Henson says winners and losers of the transfer window I think Central have done some smart business and Venice may struggle without Prato or Dominguez I think it's quite difficult to argue with any of those. Yeah. Others, of course, as we mentioned already, Boca uh, have done very well. River and Racing have done well more I, because they've held oh, on to the players I think they have. Than winner is Estudiantes, for example, because he brought a uh, few players, but good ones. Mm. And Boca yes. has a lot of players. Of course, Pablo Perez, I think, is the best one so far. I, we have to see Osvaldo if he finally is able to play and how he plays. Uh, Apart from behavior, behavior, uh, but he had they brought a lot of, of players that they can perhaps a whole team with the with the signing signings, and they have a lot of team of players behind them, and they will of course cover Cristaldo, the one who scored two two goals against River. So we have to see that if he can, if Agüero is capable of putting all those players together and. Make a team of that. Indeed. Um, yep. Thank you very much, Andres. Um, who else has written to us with questions? Let's see. Uh, Ursus Arctos asks Are Huracan's Copa Argentina victory and strong start to Libertadores qualifying a false dawn? Huracan, remember, went into a tie break with Independiente, in fact, at the end of last season for a. a um, they were on the verge of a legitimate promotion to the first division as opposed to a tarnished by there being half the division coming up one like the ones who've just come up and indeed Orican included in that so Orican are a decent side they've been one of the better sides in the, in the B for a couple of years um, well, didn't they need a, another no, well, playoff to come up this time they did yeah they, they did it by the skin of their teeth this time yeah um, that is a very good point but they did win the Copa Argentina yeah, yeah. they've got Juan um, Chope Avila uh, up front who, who looks cracky and also a number of other players and they've managed to seemingly at least judging by the results so far uh, they've absorbed the loss of Gonzalo Martinez fairly comfortably uh, he's moved to River of course but they've got Toranzo uh, they've got Abila and those two at least seem to be in fairly good form I think Orican could surprise a few people I yeah, yeah I guess it depends what you mean by false dawn I mean yeah. I think yeah, you don't see them be being champions, but you can see them comfortable at the middle of the table. Mm. 
exactly. Yeah. yeah. And if they, and if they go, if they finish mid table and got out of their group, you'd probably say, okay, that's a pretty good yeah, we, we 2015. Know, we don't know what what Apuso did, but yeah. it's clear that he did a good job. No, Apuso was uh, Apuso was in Huracan back from a few years. He was in charge of the, of the youth teams. He was there when Huracan was about to go down to the Primera B Metropolitana to the to the third division, and then basically was through all the all the process. But uh, I think, and not not many many people have said this, but um, it's kind of a shared accomp- accomplishment between um, be- between Apuso, who did a great job, obviously, but also from Kudelka who was the man who yeah. was basically in charge of putting that championship team together. Indeed. Um, one other thing I've just remembered while we were talking about Huracan is the Red Copa Argentina, the Super Copa, between Huracan and River as winners of the Doneo final last year in the Copa Argentina. When's that being played? Has it been played already and I've forgotten about it? Or? No, I think it was going to play soon, but they will play, I think, a, a second half of the, of the year. Perhaps. Brilliant. So they, they've moved the Red Copa Sudamericana to a time that makes more sense than it did for apparently no reason whatsoever, but it's now being played at the beginning of the year when it should be, and they've moved the... God, honestly. I just don't get Argentine football, or South American football, anyway, sometimes. Um, which is a shame, given that I present a podcast on it each week and make my living from writing about it, but still. Martin Conterio asks, my question is, Osvaldo a goodbye for Boca Juniors? Andres wants to get his teeth stuck into this question already, because he's been writing about it today. And how do you think the other Boca new signings will fare? We have talked already about uh, Boca doing generally pretty well in the transfer window, so that should answer that. Although it is worth mentioning that Alexis Rolin, the player who Boca Juniors signed, knowing that he had something of a recent history of injuries, uh, has, I think the technical term is, done his hamstring um, yesterday, and it's going to be out for about four weeks, which is either hilarious or tragic depending on who you support but none of us support Boca so it's hilarious um, Andres do you think Pablo Daniel Pablo Pablo Daniel Osvaldo is a goodbye for Boca Juniors well, depending on which eye you you, you look at him if you uh, just see the goals it's a tremendous big signing because it's a, a Europe quality a Europe level quality player, but uh, you have to you can't ignore all the the problems he had, which uh, were uh, po- the, the, it was possible for Boca to sign Osvaldo because all the problems he had and he was uh, uh, separated from from Inter uh, professional staff because he wanted to punch uh, Mauro Cardi during a match. Who wouldn't? And, and and two years ago appeared the the he, her, his former w- uh, wife. Uh, saying that he didn't take uh, uh, give her money to to take care of, of their, their son. Uh, now it's well, he had very 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 big problems in terms of behavior on on, on how he yes he behaved. So it's a big question mark. I mm. think. Uh, As I said earlier, Boca his eleventh club in the last ten years, uh, which doesn't bode particularly well, regardless almost of how he does on the pitch. I suppose being devil's advocate, you'd say River signed a big twat. Oh, absolutely. In, no. in Teo Gutierrez and but at May. the same time, even Teo hasn't managed to get through that. No, no. I mean, I, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to come Teo from this. I'm not suggesting like to me. To me, it reminds me more of Cristian Fabiani than Teo Gutierrez when yeah. you talk about Osvaldo. He, he was also Somewhat better player. But, uh. He was also uh, sacked from the from the 
Italian national team color for the 2013 Copa Confederations Cup because he uh, criticized uh, Rome, Roma uh, coach uh, by, by Twitter saying that he was a loser and because well they, they had lost against Lazio for Copa Italia and he blamed the, the, the coach. That's why the Italian coach didn't call him up for, for the... I think it was Prandelli. Prandelli, yes. Yeah. The, the I just go on record as well. I say that was me playing devil's advocate, not me as a supporter <laughs> and big fan. <laughs> <Yes. exactly>. So, <laughs> so, so well, uh, if, if he scores the goals he has been scoring uh, and he, he, his behaviour is okay, well, good for Boca. Ursus Arctos also asks, any news on the earthquake? Seven is not trivial. He's quite right. Does anybody else know about this? No? Which one? The this this will be a good uh, test because I actually then checked with us as well. earthquake yesterday. Chile and northern Argentina, border which I haven't heard 4.8, That's not serious business in, in Chile. Uh, apparently, it was seven. So there's obviously been a different one, but uh, it's not been reported in Buenos Aires because it didn't happen in Buenos Aires, <laughs> so nobody cares. <laughs> so there's the answer. We, we. Um, Liam Kelly says, who are the early title contenders? Of the ten promoted teams, who will fare better? Title contenders over the course of the year, you're talking same as last year, right? River, Racing, Boca, all have to be considered, I think. Yeah. Independiente, maybe if they learn how to stop conceding goals. Yeah, in the, I think Independiente will be like a, an unknown package at this point. Like, it could be a title challenge or it could be disastrous. Lanús are going to be interesting. I don't think that recent contenders, Newells or Vélez, are going to be much to worry about this year because they've well, both done no, early. Talking about Lanús, uh, Sebastian Leto. Oh, Sebastian Leto fractured his skull today. <laughs> accident in the weights room uh, and is out for three to four months. Um, as is the subject of... Oh, sorry, who, who are the... Uh, of the ten promoted teams that will fare best, uh, Gustavo, you've already mentioned that Aldo Sibi could be a potential banana Temporary. skin. Temporary. Chicago. And we've also already kind of said that Huracan should be a potential one. one. We mentioned Huracan as well. Union? Then, or no. Well, yeah, I mean, they, now, just listing all of the No, but I mean, they, Union comfortably won Zona. Yeah, that's oh. true. Actually, they did. Out of like yeah. compared to Zona A, which was like everyone was uh, so packed I, together. I would ex- exclude the, the very small teams like Sarmiento de Junín, Cruzeiro del Norte, and the ones that had had the two promotions in six in, in one year, like Temple and um, yeah. and Chicago, perhaps. Uh, Liam also says uh, Pablo Aymar is ruled out for three to four months with an ankle injury. Does Tomas Martinez deserve a chance to take his claim? Definitely, and he's going to get it because Could be, and, and they've was, both been signed as alternatives to Piscolici so that we can Yes, Piscolici and Tomas Martinez, if he has uh, uh, room for, for, for... Because I think Gallardo, what, what, what Gallardo thinks about the, the youth players that were champions with under-20 national team is that one, one thing is under-20 uh, national team in which the team players... Oh, sorry, I'm... Tomas Martinez rather than Gonzalo Martinez. Sorry, ah. I just realised. No, no, Tomas Martinez is not. Uh, I, I think he's not so sure. Like Piti Martinez, which is Gonzalo Martinez. Mm. Yes, Gonzalo Martinez. I think will be have very. Uh, uh, will be start starting of the, of the starting lineup. I think, or or, or, or for going from the bench, but he will have space. And on a more sombre note, Liam uh, quite rightly notes um, that one of our most dedicated listeners and question askers. 
uh, Billy Morrison from Australia uh, died over Christmas at the age of 15 after a very severe asthma attack. Um, those of you who followed him and certainly me will be aware that we didn't always get on 100%, but yeah, that's uh, absolutely dreadful news. And if any of his family are listening, our thoughts are with you. Uh, really, really tragic. Um, back to the football after that note. And thank you very much, Liam, by the way, for, uh, for, for sounding that out. Um, Hispanospherical Darren asks, which players from the Sudamericano under-20 squad would you tip to shine this season? Well, yeah, I mean, who, where's he going to end up? Is the hmm. question. I mean, it seems like. Well, supposedly he's not being allowed to leave Atletico because um, Simeone wants him. Yeah, but then I heard that they don't have enough room in the squad for him. It's quite a dilemma, isn't it? So, so you know, to. When does the European transfer window end? Because I think that he Most will. Of them are Ended already. Yes, yeah, been last week. Ah, so yeah, it's well, ended last week. And, and he's still there, so it's he. He will have to manage to not to put some of the one of the of the extra community players. Yeah, that, that's what I was. Th- I I thought that he wasn't actually. He didn't have a place in their squad because they they only had a certain number of non-EU players, and mm. that was already full. So Correa was. Outside in that respect, and they were looking for a loan to send him to, which I is why I think San Lorenzo and Rosario Central were. I, I think that, for example, Rolón and and, and um, Cardoso, two player players from Vélez, will be concentrated for the match. Uh, they will play this weekend. So yeah, I mean, obviously Vélez have a, a great reputation for bringing those players through. Uh, from, from and the we will see. Mamana is a good, very very good project, and Martino talked about him, saying that he could call him up for even Copa America or, or, or qualifiers, but uh, no, no, no. Uh, you see Simeone, Mamana, all River players, uh, we don't know Augusto Batalla if he finally will be uh, transferred to Real Madrid or not. Either way, he's not going to be playing that no. much first team football, whether he's at River no. or mm-hmm. Real Madrid. But uh, Mamana and any, any other team, Mamana, you see Simeone will be... Yeah, I would like to see Mamana start getting some more game time at River because I, I, I fear at times that people get a bit carried away with Mamana based on quite little <laughs> amounts of actual competitive yeah. football. And, uh, yeah, he doesn't seem to be phased by anything, but at the same time, he's not getting a hell of a lot of experience yet. Except that he's like 18. No, exactly. But, n- but I mean, in some quarters, they're already talking about like big moves. And yeah. I, I just feel like this is a guy that's played twice for River's first team and... Oh, but you're, this season, I think you're going to see some of them playing uh, much, much more. Uh, it, particularly, for example, Mamano or Drusi in Copa Argentina or mm-hmm. that sort of appointments. Uh, yeah. Trepicho from Vélez and, and Espinosa from Huracán were also good values. Darren asks about Espinosa. He yeah. says Espinosa got some credit during the Sudamericano, but his crosses were not always effectively met. Darren also uh, then comes out with the rather unfortunately phrased question. Are his balls more welcome at Oregon? <laughs> well, but he, he, her, his crosses weren't as accurate as, well, uh, I don't know, Carlos Sanchez crosses, for example. Mm. But uh, he was very good uh, doing the, uh, on, the, on the right side of the, of the attack. He was very, I think he was consistent, he was good. Uh, but the, the, the question will be 
will they have space in the Primera División, in the First Division? Well, that's something. Perhaps like like uh, Gustavo said, Copa Argentina will be more suitable for, for them. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Huracan is probably going to have much more rotation because they have like a much more uh, roster than River to play. Yeah. Uh, Darren Paul asks, what chance of Racing dominating the Copa Libertadores and doing the treble? I reckon it's a dead cert. Uh, we don't, I think it's fair to say. But they should be at the business end, you would think, of let's say a run to the second round or the quarter final of the Libertadores certainly shouldn't be beyond them. Uh, he also says on behalf of let me just get the, uh, the person's actual name first of all Peter Bean who is a fairly recent convert apparently to Argentine football how will Estudiantes do this season and Super Clásico what is your favourite fixture for your club so Estudiantes first of all I think we already said they should, they've made some interesting signings and should do reasonably well although they're starting it must be said from a slightly underwhelming base last year uh, favourite fixture for your club I think Andres and I as River fans could probably sit out of this one. Peter? Yeah, well, I mean, it's the classic. Also fairly predictable, yeah, isn't it? And Gustavo for Atlanta? This season Platense because we don't have the, the arch rivals in the same division. Of course you don't, do you? No. Um, Darren then says, mine are the Clásico de Avellaneda and the game against the Estudiantes because of... Uh, Peter being a, uh, it's not you Peter his friend Peter uh, being an Estudiantes fan um, and he says he's very excited for the new season so are we very we might not always sound it because it's so ridiculous but trust us we are excited to finally be out of the tyranny of the summer friendlies at least uh, Liam Kelly finally asked one more question will Football Baradolos still be showing games free to air and not geo-blocked on YouTube and the answer to that question is Yes, supposedly. Was it you, Andres, who told me that? No. Because one of the um, the Boca Vélez tiebreaker was shown geo-blocked on YouTube, and somebody, and I thought it was Andres, but it's not, somebody I know knows somebody who works at Football Paradoros and uh, has informed me. Oh, it's Sebastian Weisbrot, who's a regular listener. Um, he sent me a message just to, to let me know that um, apparently the, the standard league games are, are still going to be shown on YouTube, free for the whole world to watch, so don't panic on that, and do follow me, on Twitter, H-E-G-S underscore com, uh, where I shall be tweeting as many of the links as I'm physically able to, bearing in mind that we're talking about 15 bloody matches every weekend. And that's your lot. The next music that you hear, ladies and gents, is going to be Mystic Sam's theme music, and the roughly half hour of uh, predicted scores afterwards are what I think is going to happen this weekend, which is going to at first seem a bumper one, and after a while it's just going to get tedious, so don't go anywhere. thing that is going to be an advantage this season at least uh, is that we're going to have a few more mismatches I suspect than we had last season uh, beginning with Vélez Sarsfield versus Aldo Sibi on Friday night I think that Vélez ought to start with a win given that they've got home advantage in that one Racing versus Rosario Central again I'm going for a home victory uh, Central were fairly poor last season let's not forget Racing are the defending champions San Lorenzo versus Colón de Santa Fe I'm going to stick my neck out and call it a draw. Gimnasia y Prima La Plata against Defensa y Justicia. I'm going for a Defensa y Justicia victory. Gimnasia have got some adjusting to do now that Moletti's gone and gone. 
Godoy Cruz against San Martín de San Juan, the first Clásico of the year, uh, is going to be a draw. Crucero del Norte versus Tigre, the bus company's first ever Primera campaign. Uh, I expect to be a defeat for them. Tigre victory. Uh, Newell's Old Boys versus Independiente. First of all, could very well be one of the more goal-laden matches of the weekend, but I think I'm going to sit on the fence and predict a draw for it. Banfield versus Temperley. Um, Banfield victory. One of the things that we neglected to mention during our run-through of all of the teams is that Banfield have actually got a goalkeeper this year um, because Gaspar Servio has left and uh, Enrique Bologna has recovered fitness. Kilmes versus Lanús. I'm going for a Lanús win. We're only about halfway through, folks, so I hope you've um, stocked up on a coffee or whatever. Union de Santa Fe versus Huracan is going to be a draw between two of the newly promoted sides. Boca Juniors versus Olimpo. Got to predict a Boca victory when they're playing at home. Argentinos Juniors versus Atletico de Rafaela uh, is the game that you should all avoid. It's the one I'm going to, by the way. Um, and will be a low-scoring draw. Sarmiento versus Riva Plate. Come on. You don't need me to tell you what that's going to be, do you? Uh, Arsenal de Sarandí versus Estudiantes de La Plata I think could also be a draw but they're starting to try and keep it tight and Belgrano versus Nueva Chicago last thing on Monday night is a Belgrano victory We forgot to mention sorry, we forgot to mention Kilmes had a lot of, of signings one of them was Diego Buonanotte Yes, Diego Buonanotte is back in the Argentine league so uh, they, br they brought this player from Almirante Brown, who I think is going to be very interesting, Alexis Canelo, oh. which is also an enganche who has been playing Almirante Brown for uh, three or four years, and he's played really quite interesting. Where does he play? Midfield uh, enganche. Okay. Which we'll keep an eye out for. Uh, that concludes, anyway, the opening weekend preview of this first round of 30 of the Argentine Primera. 2015. Does anybody have anything to add? Let us go so that we can go and get something to eat perhaps and, and sit down to watch the Recopa. We shall do that. Uh, one final thanks before we go to our new sponsors, the Argentina Independent, providing English language news from Argentina and across Latin America at argentinaindependent.com. They're paying for our booze, so it is largely their fault that this has been such a rambling podcast, but we do say thank you to them. And for now, uh, for this week, it is goodbye from Gustavo. Goodbye. Goodbye from Andres. Goodbye. Goodbye from Peter. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>